Good morning. You glad to be in the Lord's house? Say, I am. I am. I'm glad you're here. Thanks so much for the opportunity to worship together and see what the Lord has to say together. Appreciate Pastor J.C. and Kimberly giving me the opportunity. I don't ever take that for granted. It is always humbling when somebody lets me stand in their pulpit. Uh, every Sunday we do this at 9 and 11. We say thank you to all of our first responders and military for the great service they do to keep us all safe. So let's do that before we jump in. Salute. So Pastor J.C. called me, I don't know, it's been several months ago. He said, hey, uh, July 17th, I'd love for you to speak. He said, uh, the church has been growing again. And he said, the last time you spoke, we only lost eight families. So we need a little more room. So if you'd come back, we need to lose a few more. So uh, make space. But uh, again, it's great to be with you. I'm sure that uh, you're like me, that as we travel through life, literally getting our cars, our trucks, we go somewhere. Along the way, we've probably made some wrong turns, right? We have, we've come to an intersection and we weren't quite sure what to do, where to go, and, and we chose right and we should have gone left, or we chose left and we should have gone right. Along the way, that happens, and as we look at the book of Proverbs today, we'll talk about Lady Wisdom and how she helps us make good decisions. But as I was praying and, and preparing some things to say to you today, I remembered when Rhonda and I started dating, so I started dating, uh, Rhonda sat on the front row 42 years ago. I started when I was six uh, dating her, so I uh, started dating 42 years ago. We met after my uh, sophomore year of college, after her freshman year of college. We both worked at a summer camp for kids in Virginia, and she was transferring to Lee, and we both lived in Virginia. She didn't have a vehicle at the time, and I had a sweet 1972 P. Green Pinto. So... Uh, <laughs> So she was naturally attracted to me. And so, uh, so when we would travel from Virginia to Tennessee, from uh, southwest Virginia down to Cleveland, Tennessee, she would ride with me and then we'd ride home together. Sometimes my brother would ride with us, but usually it's just the two of us. And I remember this one particular trip. We'd been dating six or eight months, and I, I knew I'd fall in love with her, wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And we're riding back to Tennessee, and we're both in a really good mood. And in that Pinto, you know, there's nothing between the two bucket seats except the emergency brake, so you can reach each other. And so we're holding hands, and I'm enjoying it. And every now and then she'll reach over and, you know, take her fingernail, scratch my arm. I'm like, it's good. I like this. This is, this is good. You know, and it's close enough, every now and then she'd lean over and we'd kiss, you know, we'd meet in the middle. She'd go, watch the road, and I'd watch the road. And so anyway, we're just traveling along. We've been doing this for a couple of hours. And uh, as you come down from Virginia, Tennessee, you know, you bear off to the right to go to Nashville, and you bear off to the left to go to Knoxville, and then from Knoxville down to Cleveland. And, and so I was so enamored with this woman and saw, so caught up with her batting those big brown eyes at me that there came a point where I looked up and we were halfway to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, that's not where we were going. And I realized that I was so caught up with her that I had just kept going off to the right when I should have bared left, right? And so I had to look at her and go, which a man never wants to say to his wife, we've gone the wrong way, right? But then I said, and it's all your fault, which of course it was, right? And what did we have to do? We had to turn around. We had to take an act. There was nothing I could do to get back the time we had wasted. There was, there was nothing I could do to not have to travel back the 30 minutes or an hour that we had traveled going the wrong way. We had to take an exit and turn around and head right back the way we had just come in order to get to the destination. 
And I'm afraid that periodically myself and maybe some of you along the way we come to the intersections of life and we have to make some big decisions and we have to choose a certain path. And because we don't inquire of the Lord about that direction, we don't inquire of the Lord about the right way to go, sometimes we find ourselves on a path not of His choosing. We find ourselves some distance down the road and we have to acknowledge to God, to ourselves, and maybe even to those around us, went the wrong way. And we usually try to blame it on somebody else. When the fact of the matter is, it's most of the time just our fault. We didn't listen to the Lord. We didn't follow His guidance. We didn't seek His face. Just made a decision. We made a decision about a career. We made a decision about a move. We made a decision about ministry. And we didn't really inquire of Him. And in Proverbs chapter 8, when you study Proverbs chapter 8, the story is about what they call Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is standing at the gate of the city and she is dispensing advice and she is dispensing guidance and she is dispensing wisdom. Those who will come to her and who will listen to her, she will say to them, this is the direction you should go and this is the decision you should make and this is what you should do. And she stands there and she shares and Lady Wisdom is a representation for us in the Old Testament called Wisdom, the Ark of the Covenant we'll talk about momentarily. And, and for us, you and I would be representative of the Holy Spirit that abides with us. And in verse number 32, Lady Wisdom begins to speak. And she says in verse number 32, if it's going to be on the screen for us, Now then, sons, listen to me, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to the instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is a person who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. So if we listen to Lady Wisdom and we follow the things that Lady Wisdom would say that we should do, then we're going to find life and we're going to find joy and we're going to find peace and we're going to find destiny. If we choose not to listen to Lady Wisdom the Spirit of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, we're going to find our place, ourselves in places of destruction and despair and deprivation. And so the Lord invites us in this really cool way to say, hey, whatever decision you're facing in life, whatever choice, whatever you have to do, just come to me first and let's have a conversation about this. Let's talk about this so you don't find yourself too far down the road in the wrong direction. So if you've heard me speak before, you know that Ron and I uh, uh, lead a ministry downtown Atlanta called City of Refuge. We've been there 25 years. July 2nd was actually our 25th anniversary from the first Sunday I preached downtown. Really cool, powerful thing that God's done in the inner city over the last 25 years. We now have 10 locations around the country. We're in the middle of launching now in Nashville and St. Louis. It looks like we're going to Las Vegas and just some incredible things. And we heard the Lord invite us. Right, I've been in ministry 14 years and the Lord invites us to go downtown. Crazy set of circumstances and events. And we decide to go pastor this little church and start City of Refuge. A couple months into that, Rhonda, as you know, heard the Lord say to her, you should move to the city and live among those that you want to trust you by showing them that you trust them. And, and a lot of things happened, but our decision finally was that we're moving in the third floor of this old 65-year-old church building with our four daughters at the time who were seven, five, three, and one. Our fifth daughter's born while we lived there. So the decision's made. We've heard the Lord. We're going. So we pack up the U-Haul and we move all of our stuff down. 
And we've been living in Stone Mountain in this incredibly beautiful home, most beautiful home either one of us had ever lived in. We both grew up in pastor's homes that pastored small rural churches in Virginia. We didn't have much money. We lived in these little box houses and stuff growing up. So all of a sudden we're married. We got kids. We got this great house. It's three-story. It's got a front porch. It's got a huge deck on the back porch. It's a huge yard. It's got a tire swing in this huge oak tree. Rhonda pulls the girls in a little red wagon across the, school to, across the street to school in the morning. It's wonderful. And God says, go live in the hood on the third floor of a 65-year-old church building. And I'm like, well, what I do wrong, God, right? I'm trying to love you and follow you. And so he says, and we knew he said it, so we had to do it. We wanted to be obedient, so we moved all of our stuff down. I took the girls down, and Rhonda was at the house by herself. And she shared this story with me later, and we've talked about it many times over the years, how that she was in our home by herself, and she's wandering around and she's going in and out of every room in the house. And she's remembering all of the good things that happened there. And she's crying. She is weeping because she is leaving the most beautiful home she's ever lived in. We're leaving a safe environment. We're leaving a beautiful environment. We're leaving a, a comfortable environment. And we're going down to live in the third floor of this church building. And we don't know what the future holds. We're just going because the Lord has said to go. And she said, I just walked around over and over and went on the back porch and looked at the yard and, and just cried and cried and cried and cried. And eventually she said, I have to go. They were having a welcome reception for us that evening at the church and a couple dozen folks that were still a part of the church were waiting on us with a meal and to help us get things set up in the house. So she said, I knew I had to be there. I knew I had to come. So she got in the car. And she started driving down the road and she said, as I, as I started driving down the road, she said, I couldn't stop crying. I was just crying. I knew the Lord had spoken. But it was painful. It was difficult. It was, it was hard. And so she cried and she said, I cried the whole way down the road. Pulled up in the parking lot in this uh, old Jeep Cherokee that we had. It was packed full of stuff. And she said, as I'm sitting in the parking lot, I'm thinking, I have to go inside. I have to go see the people. They're here. They're waiting on us. They've shown up for us. And she said, I noticed my Bible laying between the seats. And she reached and picked up her Bible. And this is not the way that we generally try to find the will of the Lord for our life. But she said, all I knew to do was open the Bible. So she opened the Bible and it happened to open to Joshua chapter 3. And she said, I started reading in Joshua chapter 3. And the scripture says, beginning at verse number 1 in Joshua chapter 3. It says that, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, and notice what it says, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Why? Then you will know which way to go because you have never gone this way before. When the Ark of the Covenant, Lady Wisdom, the Spirit of the Lord, when the presence of God moves through your marriage, moves through your family, moves through your children's lives, moves through your sickness, moves through your addiction, moves through your disappointment, moves through your frustration, moves through what you hope your future is. When the Spirit of the Lord moves through your life, you need to get up and follow it because it's going to take you somewhere you have never been before. Right? Amen. 
And if we're going to go somewhere we have never been before, we should follow someone who knows the right pathway. We should follow someone who has been there before, who has already traversed the terrain and knows all of the obstacles and the places of danger along the way. And so Rhonda said, when I read these verses of Scripture and I understood what God was saying. You see, the children of Israel had been wandering 40 years in the wilderness when this passage is written. And now it's time to cross over. And God speaks and he says, now when, the, when, the, when they move through, Follow because I'm going to take you somewhere you've never been before. They're about to cross the promised land. They're about to the promised land, cross over the Jordan. It's going to be an incredible experience, but they've never been, so they've got to follow. Rhonda said, I knew that the Lord said, you've never gone this way, darling, but come on, get up, wipe your tears. I'll show you the way. And so she said, I wiped my tears, squared my shoulders, set my chin, came in, and when she came into the environment, nobody knew she had been crying. Nobody knew her heart was broken about leaving this beautiful home. Nobody knew that there was a spirit of sadness that had tried to envelop her. My wife walked in the room, and if those of you have met her, you'll know this. She walked in, she started kissing babies, patting people on the head, asking their name, their children's name, their grandchildren's name, where they lived, where they worked, what they want to do with the rest of their life. She had a full catalog of information when the night was over. And in that moment, she became known as Mama Rhonda in the hood. For the last 25 years, she's in the hood. She's either Mama Rhonda or Mrs. Bruce, whichever they decide to call her, right? And she became, because she knew the Lord had said, come go here. Come go here. Some of you this morning are at places of decision in your life. You're trying to decide about a career change. Let me tell you something. Don't make it until the Ark of the Covenant passes by. Don't make the change until the Spirit of the Lord says, come follow me. Some of you are trying to decide whether or not to go into some kind of full-time ministry. You're trying to decide if you're going to leave the stability of life and, and, and security of a job and move into ministry. Make sure the Spirit of the Lord is leading you there. We got some young man in the room. You've been dating that girl a while and you're trying to decide whether or not you're going to marry her. Don't ask her unless you hear the word of the Lord. And young lady, don't say yes unless the Lord says yes. Right? Most of those boys are sorry. So anyway, you got to hear the Spirit of the Lord. We got to hear, we got to know when He comes through the camp. Come through the camp. Now listen, here's what's involved in the Ark of the Covenant. Three things I want you to take note of. If you don't already know, I'm sure a bunch of you do. But three things were inside the Ark of the Covenant that are important for us to recognize today. Number one inside the Ark of the Covenant were the two stone tablets containing the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses on the mountain. So inside of that are the guidelines for our life. You see, some people take Ten Commandments and say, well, this is law and legalism. I look at it and go, man, I really appreciate God giving me guardrails in my life to keep me on a safe path so I don't fall off into the jungle somewhere. So I don't consider it law. I consider it freedom to live out the things he's called me to do. You know what the Ten Commandments represent? What these tablets inside the Ark of the, heart, of the Covenant, they represent God's heart for us. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes by, that's God's heart because He wants us to go on the right path. He wants us to go down the right journey. Can you imagine the heartbreak that God the Father, Yahweh, Creator of heaven and earth, experiences when He sees us making the wrong decision and He knows what the outcome of that is going to be? He knows the pain and the suffering and the sorrow we're going to experience because of our own foolishness and selfish desires. And he keeps saying, wait, my heart is for you to be loved and cared for and stable and sufficient and have the things you need. Just listen to me. 
So when God's spirit comes by, it's not to punish us. His spirit comes by to reveal his heart that he loves us and he created us for destiny and purpose. The second thing that was contained inside the Ark of the Covenant was what was called Aaron's rod. So it was his staff, this this whittled down piece of wood, probably about six feet long that he would walk with in the rough terrain and up the mountains. And it was a dead piece of wood, right? It had been cut away from the tree, away from the root. But at a moment in time when God needed to show his miraculous power, he spoke to the dead staff and it began to bud again and flowers and buds began to pop on it again and what that represents for you and I is God's favor because he looks around at us and he sees the dead places in our life and he sees the places that no longer have the spiritual oxygen that they need to exist and guess what he does he speaks to them and he breathes on them and he brings back to life that which looks like it has already died So when the Spirit of the Lord comes along, please understand this. His heart is for you and for me to be blessed. And one of the ways that he blesses us is by speaking to the things that have seemed to have been dead. And he resurrects them and brings them back to life. He brings his favor. That was the second thing in the Ark of the Covenant. And the third thing in the Ark of the Covenant was the jar of manna. And you know that when the Israelites wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness that God fed them every day by dropping manna out of the sky. And he dropped enough for the day, right? And they had enough to survive. And they had what they had to have sustenance for the next 24 hours. And what that represents for you and I is God's provision. God never wants us to be in lack. He never wants us to be in a place where we don't have what we need to survive. He wants to provide for us the material things that we need in order to have a healthy life. He wants to provide for us the spiritual things we need in order to grow and thrive. He wants to survive for us the emotional things so that we can have stability in our life. God is not a father that is withholding from us, waiting on us to prove ourselves to him. God is a father who has good gifts lined up for us and says, here, I want to make sure that you are blessed with provision today. I mentioned Ryan and I have five daughters, Cassie, Kelsey, Kenzie, Kayla, and Carly. That's why I look like this. But anyway, we had four daughters in six years. And then six years later, we had four daughters in six years. Six years later, Rhonda looked at me and said, I think God has another little pink package with a bow on it with our name on it. And I go, you got to be kidding me, woman. I am 40 years old. And nine months later, we had Carly. Right? Rhonda said, this is a gift God wants to give us. But we had to activate in order to receive the gift. Right? God has gifts for everybody in this room this morning that are sitting on the heavenly shelf with your name on them wrapped up nice, but he wants you to activate your faith and activate your obedience and activate your commitment so that he can release the gift that he desires to give you. God has provision that he wants to make available to us. So Lady Wisdom invites us, come let us talk. Come let us reason together. Come here and let me dispense wisdom and knowledge into your life. And by the way, that's not going to happen just by showing up at Go Church on Sunday morning. That's going to happen in your personal devotion time and your study time and your worship time and your time in prayer with the Lord. That's where the knowledge is going to be dispensed and you'll know where to go and what to do. Right? So 
Lady Wisdom says, let me give this. Joshua says, they say, when the Ark of the Covenant passes through, follow it because you're going somewhere you've never been before. I think a bunch of people in the room would like to go somewhere new in the kingdom that you've never been before, right? You would like to experience revelation and truth and power that you've never had before. And when you do, it may not always look exactly like you thought it was going to look. So we heard the voice of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant passed through our life. We moved in this 25, in this 65-year-old church building in the city and the incredible things that God has done, right? Some of them just amazing. Some of them heartbreaking. Some of them exhilarating. So we move in. We experience more violence than we'd ever experienced in our life. If you've heard me speak, you, you know we're broken into nearly three dozen times. I've had guys try to kill me, stood up in superior court with them in front of the judge. The judge is trying to decide whether or not to keep them in jail. Before he even speaks, they just look at me and go, Pew! and the judge said, we're going to keep him a while. So anyway, we've had all these experiences. We started moving moms and their children in to live with us. I woke up one morning and started counting. I was living with 23 females. In this little environment. You think about that for a minute, boys and girls, right? Where all these crazy things happen. You know, just God moving us into new journeys and new things, really cool things along the way. We had just, we had the opportunity to suddenly start embracing people that most people would shun, right? People that I used to would walk across the street not to have an encounter with. Now I'm walking across the street to get to have an encounter with them. We got to meet Dennis early on in our journey 25 years ago, who by the time we met him only had a couple years left in life because of his drug, needs and sh uh, drug use and sharing needles. He was dying with HIV and with AIDS. And we had the opportunity to put our arm around him and put a warm jacket on him when it was cold and set him down at our table for a meal and put him in the car and drive him to Grady Hospital to the emergency room when he was sick and to load him in the ambulance the day he had his last seizure before he passed away. We, we got an opportunity to experience life with the least of these in a new way. We had the opportunity because we followed the Spirit of the Lord when it passed through our camp to have incredible Sunday celebrations. Ron and I and our family have been going here about 18 months. We love what happens in church and we love the worship and we love the, the energy and we love the kids' ministry and J.C. speaking. And, but I miss a little bit of the rawness of the hood along the way. Right? Every now and then, you know, every now and then I'd like to go in the bathroom and see a couple guys down to their underbritches taking a bath in the sink. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Here at Go Church. I stepped out to go to the restroom a while ago. I had six security follow me to the toilet. Anyway, right? <laughs> I'm from the hood, y'all. Anyway, the, so we had these celebrations. Brandy came in. She was 19 years old. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. She had been an addict already for three or four years, started in her middle teens, an alcoholic. Radical transformation, accepted Jesus. And every Sunday for two, three years, at some point in the sermon, I just look back. She sat back here on the right. I go, how many weeks we clean today, Brandy? 24 weeks today, Pastor. Everybody's cheering and hollering, jumping up and down. If I forgot to ask her, I'd be in the middle of preaching. She'd just jump up and go, 39 weeks today, preacher. Everybody celebrate. It's the first time I'd ever been speaking in church where people in the church felt like it was okay on the fourth row. They'd just raise their hand and go, I got a question. We'd just have Q&A right in the middle of church. It's just fun. 
midweek service I'm teaching one night, Eddie and Alvin walk in the back door there, high as a kite. Eddie, Alvin, Billy, and Vernon, four adult crack addicts, alcoholics, lived with their mother, been in jail, in and out of jail their whole life. We looked them up one time. Eddie had been arrested 84 times, Alvin 47 times, Billy 30 sometimes. Funniest thing to me was when you go into Georgia Department of Corrections and check them out, Eddie had been arrested all these times, and his aliases were Alvin, Billy, and Vernon. That's a hoot to me. All the brothers, they just use their brother's name for aliases. They come walking in one midweek service, walk down the aisle. Eddie's a big old boy, about 6'4", 250. He picks me up, sets me down on the front row. Alvin gets behind the thing, picks up my Bible and goes, everybody turn to Romans 9, I'm going to preach for a while. We let him talk a little while and then literally four of us had to carry both of them out. I'm just like, I've never seen JC have towed anybody out of church on Sunday morning. Just these incredible experiences because the Spirit of the Lord came through our camp and we decided to follow. We had never been there before. We had never experienced it before. I'd never sat with the heroin addict for nine minutes while their craving dissipated in their body. I'd never kicked in the door to rescue a 12-year-old off of Cleveland Avenue that was being sex trafficked. I'd never been a part of some of the things God invited us to. But when the Spirit of the Lord said, come go with us, we didn't know anything to say except yes. We didn't know where he was taking us or what it would look like. We just said we're going to go. And then we got all the fun stuff that just makes you smile. I got some incredible, deep theological truths hanging out in the city. We're sitting down off Browns Bridge Road one day and, and we got about 100 homeless guys sitting around a big fire we built. We're grilling hot dogs and drinking soda and just conversations taking place. We're just hanging out being friends and LC's sitting beside me and LC's been in and out of prison multiple times, addiction multiple times, alcoholism. He'll do good a while, fall off a while, live in our house a while, go back to the streets a while. At one point during the conversation, he leaned over and whispered, hey, ghetto, they call me ghetto rev. He said, hey, ghetto, you know they're dead bodies in my past. And I said, well, L.C., don't say anything else about that. And so I just, after a while, I just looked at L.C. I said, help me understand this. I said, all these years of addiction, alcohol, in and out of prison, in and out of rehab, living with us, going somewhere else. I said, what happens in a man's mind? How do you come to this place? What, what's the rationale behind all of this? L.C. closed his eyes and he sat there for a while and he finally opened his eyes, he looked at me, just gave me this deep theological profound truth. He just looked at me and goes, preacher, some people just get stuck on stupid. And I said, that's about as deep as I've ever heard right there. Just stuck on, I said, I've been thinking about that about some of y'all, but I didn't want to say it out loud. I had just another great, cool theological moment happened. Marcus showed up for church one day. He hadn't been in church in months, and he showed up one day, and I said, Marcus, what are you doing here? He said, well, it was just a miracle. And he said, but it was a bad miracle, but it turned out to get me in church. And I said, what's that? And Marcus lived. He's a homeless alcoholic and, and, and a veteran and an addict, and he lives in the cemetery off Cleveland Avenue. And he said, well, do you know where I sleep over there by that tombstone in the back of the cemetery? I said, yeah. He said, well, last night, he said, I got tired and decided to go to sleep, and he said, I had a bag of dope left. He said, so I put the dope on one side of my tombstone, hid it under a little bit of weeds over there. I laid down on the other side and went to sleep. And he said, this morning I woke up and I heard the mower coming. And he said, just as I was able to sort of get my eyes open and figure out what was going on, the mower ran over my dope. And he said, I just decided when God mows you dope, you got to get up and go to church. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
when God, when God mows you dope, you just got to get up and go to church. Right? We had these incredible experiences all because we followed when he led. Listen, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I travel, speak all over the country, have a lot of fun talking to corporate churches, all kind of things. One of the things that breaks my heart is those who name the name of Jesus and live boring lives. You know, I think if we name the name of Jesus and we follow the model of Jesus, he is going to bring us to these places of incredible joy and incredible distress and on the mountain and on a valley and in a storm and in the calm. There's never going to be anything normal about those of us who have abandoned our life for the life of Christ. Just so much fun to see what he will do. Right? And along the way, I don't want you to be I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying today. Just because we follow the Ark of the Covenant or listen to Lady Wisdom or, or let the Spirit guide us somewhere, that doesn't mean every prayer is going to be answered the way we want it to be answered. That, that doesn't mean every desire is going to be fulfilled the way we want it to be fulfilled. You see, in these 25 years, we have had the highest of the high and the lowest of the low. Two years ago, Sarah showed up on our campus. She had been rescued. Some part of my team literally went to a trap house and rescued her and brought her in. She'd been abused sexually since she was five years old and fallen into addiction and trying to cope with the abuse and the trauma she'd experienced. We got her in our home and, and got her cleaned up. We run a, a survivor home and served over 800 women from trafficking over the last eight years and we're loving her and caring for her. And she started growing in the Lord and reading the word and praying. Had a beautiful, just incredible, beautiful singing voice and her favorite song was, It Is Well With My Soul. And she would stand up in the middle of other survivors and sing, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and part of me go, How can you sing It's Well With My Soul after what you've been through the last 20 years? But somehow she had found this place of relationship with God that helped her say that and, and we hired her on to our facilities crew and I passed her push cart one day that had all the cleaning supplies on it and she had her Bible open and highlighted in yellow Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I went, man, we're getting there. This is wonderful. The Lord led us to survivors to take care of them and look what's happening. And then she just left on a Friday night in a car we had given her. And we called her and she wouldn't return the call and finally got a hold of her and kept trying to talk her back. And the next Saturday morning, just a week later, I get a call early in the morning from the sheriff's department up the road a little bit and they say, hey, we've got your vehicle and you can come pick it up whenever you want to. And I go, well, why do you have my vehicle? And they said, well, we can't really tell you, but we have your vehicle. And five minutes later, the coroner's office calls. It says, do you have anybody? that come identify the body of Sarah Gillespie. They'd found her sitting cross-legged on a bed in the same trap house with the needle still stuck in her arm. And I had to try to figure out how to sing it as well with my soul. You have to say to the Lord, and it's okay, he's not offended. You're the one that led me here. Your spirit's the one that passed through my camp and my life and my family and invited us here. Why did you invite us here for this? And you know what? There are times that there are no answers. There are times that you have to say, I trust you because I know how, all I know how to do is trust you. I don't understand you. Listen to me. 
There are times, and this was one of them, when I looked at God and said, I don't understand you, and right now I don't even like you. All I know how to do is trust you. That's all I know how to do. And sometimes you got to go behind the building and scream out loud. Sometimes you got to get on your face and cry till you can't cry anymore. Sometimes you got to shake your fist at heaven and let him know how you feel. But at the end of the day, if I believe he's God, and I believe he's perfect in all of his ways, and I believe that he created me for purpose and destiny, somehow I got to get up out of my tears, and I got to get up out of my pain, and I got to get up out of my sorrow, and I got to say, it is well with my soul. It is well. And you know what? You can't get stuck in those moments. Because if you get stuck in those moments, you're going to miss the good moments. Because you see, 20 years ago, I met Rufus in the street, one of the meanest sons of guns I've ever met. Sexually molested when he was tw- seven, raped when he was 12, went to the streets as a homosexual prostitute for the next 25 years. Heroin addict, crack addict. Uh, he's the only person that sat in the bluff in Atlanta and shared needles, the only person still alive because they said he has a gene that's only found in one in every 240 million people that blocks the HIV virus. HIV virus. I said, God, every time you, I said, Rufus, every time you stuck a needle in your arm, God was saying, not today, buddy. Not today because he knew we were coming. He knew the Ark of the Covenant was going to pass through our life and it was eventually going to pass through your life. We're going to run into each other. We loved on him for 13 years. Rufus can cuss you like you ain't never been cussed before. I'm going to tell you right now, I played senior basketball league. The first tournament I showed up for, they found out, somebody told him I was a pastor. One of them called me over. He said, hey, hey, you a preacher? I go, well, yeah, sometimes. He goes, well, listen, some of these guys out here don't know Jesus. They're going to lose some, use some language you might not be comfortable with. I started laughing out loud. I said, I was cussed out today nine ways to Sunday. There's nothing you're going to say out here that's going to bother me. Rufus, mean, his street name was Queen B, and they say more, that B has cut more people in the bluff than anybody in history of the bluff. Mean. Eight years ago, he called Steve on my staff. He said, if you'll come get me today, I'll never go back. Thirteen years. Thirteen years. We followed the Ark of the Covenant into Rufus's life. Thirteen years we fed him and we clothed him and we took care of his expenses and his medical challenges. Thirteen years we put up with his foolishness. Thirteen years we let him cuss us out. Eight years ago, he said, because you kept showing up in my life for thirteen years, come get me today and I'll never come back. We picked him up. He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ was delivered from heroin and crack and alcohol and nicotine. Sits on the second row. He's at the West Side Campus right now listening to the worship service on the second row class in his hands and blessing the Lord God Almighty. Three or four years ago, he beat up, his body's broken down, he got approved for disability and, and he had applied several months before and when he finally got approved, they gave him a back check for that period of time so he got a nice lump sum. Nobody told Rufus to give him his money away. The day it was deposited in his account, he walked in my office handed me a wad of $100 bills and said this. He said, take this and go do for somebody else what you did for me. It's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing. Rufus was in my office this past Tuesday. He called Tuesday morning. He, go, he, said, he does this every month when his check's deposit now. He called me, go, you on campus, Pastor? I go, yeah. He said, I'm bringing you my tithe because I don't trust none of the rest of them. 
City Refuge now $14 million a year annual budget. Rufus won't give somebody his $300. He sat in my office. He, he's on a walker now. <laughs> he pulled that walker up to my desk, turned it around, sat down on it. He said, Pastor, let me tell you what I did on the 4th of July. He said, I took a little bit of money and I went to the store and I bought a bunch of food and he said, I fed a hundred people living in the same streets where I used to live. Right? The Spirit of the Lord, when the Spirit of the Lord passes through your camp, follow it. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be reluctant. Don't be resistant. When the Spirit of the Lord passes through, get in line. Some of you this morning, you're, standing, you're sitting here, you're trying to figure it out. Let me tell you how I think it happens. Genesis chapter 1. I think Genesis chapter 1 actually sets the course for all of us for everything that happens in our life. We think it's just a creation story. I actually think it's a story of creation and everything that will happen after. Because in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, the word of the Lord says that the earth was without form and void. It had no shape, no form. Nothing was good. Nothing was productive. Nothing was growing. Nothing was beautiful. Some of you feel like that's your life this morning. Somebody invited you to church or you showed up because you know you're supposed to, but you're like, nothing good happening right now, Bruce. Marriage is in trouble. Financial crisis. Lost my job. The cancer diagnosis won't go away. My kids are rebellious and away from God. Some of you feel like it's just without form and void right now. It's just a mass. But then the word of the Lord says this, the spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth. I came to tell somebody this morning that even though you can't see it and you can't feel it, the spirit of Almighty God is hovering over your life. The Spirit of Almighty God's hovering over your trouble. It's hovering over your pain. It's hovering over your disappointment. Hovering over your fear. Hovering over your failure. The Spirit of the Lord is hovering. He's always hovering. He's always on the move. Trust that He is moving. And then the Lord God Almighty said, No form, no, it was a void, no form. Spirit hovers. God speaks. Get ready. If you haven't already heard him, he's about to shout in your direction. He's about to say, come follow me here or here or here. He's about to say peace or strength or power or deliverance. Whatever you need, he's about to speak out of the spirit hovering. And when he speaks, here's what's really cool. Without form and void, the spirit hovers. God speaks and light comes. He shines a light on the path that you're supposed to travel. Listen, listen. If you don't know which way to go, it's not necessarily because your vision's bad. It might be because your hearing is not tuned to the voice of God. Because once he speaks, light shines. And the scripture says he saw the light and the darkness and he knew what needed to happen. He separated the two. When you come to the right place of relationship with God Almighty through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, and by the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, He is going to shine light on the area you're supposed to live and travel and work and worship in. And He is going to make dark those areas that we're not supposed to go in. I'm just a simple-minded kind of creature. What I want to do is walk where there is light and avoid where there is darkness. 
I just want to walk up to Lady Wisdom every morning and go, should I go right, left, straight, or backward? I, I just want to hear his voice. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I don't have to have the most wisdom or knowledge or understanding. What I want to have is the greatest desire to know him. And by knowing him, I know the way, I know the path, I know the journey. I didn't share this in the first service because four of my daughters were here. And I didn't want one of my daughters to feel uncomfortable. My family's walking through hell right now that we never expected and we never thought would visit our house. And it is heartbreaking. And it is heavy and it is disappointing. And we're holding our daughter up every way we know how and her three little boys. And there's not one thing about where we're living right now that I like. There's not one moment in the last four months that I have taken joy in the journey my daughter's having to walk. But a couple weeks ago, I got a text late at night from my daughter who was seven years old when we went downtown following the voice of the Lord, who grew up in the environment of following the Ark of the Covenant, of submitting to the will of the Father. And she texted me. I'm trying to be the encourager. I'm trying to be the motivator. I'm trying to be the strength. And she says, Dad, I have no idea why I am where I am, and I never thought I'd be here. But I know that there is a God, and I know that He loves me. And I know that on the other side of this valley, He's going to show me goodness and grace and love again. And until then, I'll hold on if you'll hold on with me. <laughs> I believe the Spirit of the Lord is hovering in His place. God wants to speak to some of you do something a little different this morning if, if you're here and you just say Bruce I'm at a crossroads can't figure out my health challenge can't figure out what's going on in my marriage I don't know where my kids are I don't know what tomorrow holds if you just say I'm at a crossroads and I need to hear Lady Wisdom's voice and I need to sense the Ark of the Covenant passing through and, and I'll follow would you just stand real quickly right where you are if you're just in a place would you just stand thank you yeah He loves you so much. Sometimes it's hard to feel. It's hard to figure out. He loves you so much and he hung his son up on a cross. Had to turn away because the pain was too deep. And if he loved you that much, he loves you enough to hover in your life and to speak to you now and to bring light. I just, I just believe that. I just believe that.
I'd like to invite three, four, five people around every one of these just to stand and go to them. Put your hand on their shoulder. Take them by the hand. Would you speak the word of the Lord into their life right now? Would you speak peace? Would you speak provision? Would you speak God's heart, God's favor, God's provision? Would you make sure nobody's left standing alone? That everybody has somebody standing with them? Jesus' name.